Welcome to Stories from the Revolution. I'm John White, and this is episode number 33. The revolution that we are talking about is the massive spiritual paradigm shift currently underway in the U.S. and around the world. In these stories, I'm describing what the revolution looks like and how you can join in. So we in the Luke 10 community have identified five core values, which we believe are at the heart of this revolution. Originally, when we started Luke 10 more than 13 years ago, this was early 2008, our focus was primarily as a house church ministry. But over time, we've come to understand that the revolution that we're talking about is much deeper and more profound than simply whether church meets in a home or in a church building. The first core value that we as individuals and as communities seek to be joy-fueled. In John 15, Jesus said that he wanted our joy to be full to overflowing. Brain science adds to this picture through the insight that our brains were made to run on joy. It's our best source of motivation, or as Jim Wilder calls it, joy is like jet fuel. Our first book called Joy Fueled, which is available on Amazon, uh, unpacks what we've learned about joy as our source of motivation, joy fueled. Our second core value is that we as individuals and as communities are seeking to be Jesus led. That's the key concept, Jesus-led. Throughout the Bible, we see example after example of God communicating with his people and leading his people. These were not isolated occasional events. Rather, they were normal daily occurrences, just like you would expect in any kind of meaningful personal relationship. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep are continually hearing my voice. In this verse, the form of the verb to hear is particularly important. It's a present active indicative, which implies continuous action. So continually hearing is a good translation of the Greek. Jesus is our shepherd. And we as his sheep are continually able to hear his voice and to be led by him. This means that two-way communication is both possible and even more, it's supposed to be the norm. Dialogue, two-way communication, actual conversations as we would have with any person that we're close to. John Eldridge in his excellent book, Walking with God, calls this, quote, an intimate conversational relationship with Jesus, end quote. I love that phrase. I love that way of talking about being Jesus-led. And that's what I signed up for when I was 15 years old and I became a follower of Jesus. The question that was asked to me was, would you like to have a personal relationship with Jesus? My answer was, yes, I would. But then my relationship with Jesus in practice became largely a personal relationship with the Bible. 
and actually a pretty analytical relationship with the Bible. In the youth group that I was part of, we were taught inductive Bible study, and we practiced it all the time. Inductive Bible study meant asking three questions of every passage in Scripture that we studied. The first question was, what does the text say? That's called observation. The next question, what does the text mean? That was called interpretation. And then third, what does it mean to me? That's application. Now, I think inductive Bible study is a very good thing. It really helped me to get to know the Bible, but that's pretty much where things stopped. My personal relationship with Jesus really wasn't all that personal. It was more about discovering biblical principles and then trying to live those out. Here's the principle that I was taught. We speak to God in prayer. He speaks to us in scripture. Now, I certainly do think that he speaks to us in scripture, but I no longer believe that he is limited to that. Another way to talk about this is that my relationship with Jesus was almost entirely, in those early, early years, left brain. And as far as I knew, that's all there was. It wasn't until much later that I discovered the importance of engaging my right brain as well. And my right brain is where emotions and relational connections take place. We will unpack more about this concept of whole-brained Christianity as we go on. But I just want you to remember this phrase, whole brain Christianity or whole brain discipleship. That's something that we are after. We think is a core value in this revolution that's underway. So slowly over the years from the time I was 15, um, I began to feel that there must be more. I was hungering for something more personal, more intimate. And what I find is that there are today a great many followers of Jesus who have that same hunger. Perhaps that's true of you. So in these episodes and in the book that we are working on, we're in the process of writing, uh, which will be called Jesus Led, I want to share with you some of my personal journey towards that intimate conversational relationship with Jesus, towards whole brain Christianity, towards being Jesus led. What have we learned along the way? What does it mean to be Jesus led? And what's our part in that relationship? And what are the obstacles or hindrances to this kind of relationship? It makes sense, doesn't it, that the evil one, of all the things that he's about, and one of the things, maybe the most important things that he is opposing, is uh, living a life that is Jesus led. So one of the things I want to do early on in these next episodes is to bring to light what I think is a major hidden obstacle to keep us from this kind of conversational relationship with Jesus. This obstacle, looking back, I can see now, was at work in my life and in the church that I was a part of, although I wasn't aware of it. None of us were. It wasn't until many years later that I discovered that there was actually a name for this obstacle. And I discovered that a great many other people were affected by the same hidden issue, sort of a hidden strategy of the evil one. 
a term or name for this obstacle is functional deism. This may sound like an obscure theological concept, but it's actually very real and it's very important and it's very prevalent, actually far more prevalent than we might realize at first. I first came to understand this term, functional or practicing deist, through a book written by one of my professors at Fuller Seminary, Dr. Charles Kraft. Dr. Kraft was a professor of anthropology and intercultural communication in the School of World Missions at Fuller. The title of the book that I'm talking about is Christianity with Power, Your Worldview and Your Experience of the Supernatural. Notice the connection between the term worldview and supernatural. We'll be talking more about that. So I want to share with you um, a quote, something that Dr. Kraft wrote in his book. Here's what he said. Uh, in many ways, quote, in many ways, our evangelicalism was more like deism than like biblical Christianity. Let me stop there. That's an astounding statement. Dr. Kraft was speaking as a committed evangelical missionary and as a professor at a respected evangelical seminary. I meant to say he's a committed evangelical missionary and a professor at a, an evangelical seminary. And in, in that context, he's saying that our evangelicalism was often more like deism than biblical Christianity. Dr. Kraft goes on. In the New Testament, we find Christians appealing to God immediately and insistently whenever a problem occurs. Then, in the guidance, authority, and power received from God, they ministered boldly. They believed that God was near and always ready to respond graciously in love and power to those in need. Then Dr. Kraft goes on to uh, share a quote from Chuck Swindoll. Um, before I share that quote, I just want to make a comment about who Chuck Swindoll is. Some of you may be aware of this. Some of you might not. Uh, he is a widely respected evangelical Christian pastor. He authored over 50 books. He was an educator, a radio preacher. He was president of Dallas Theological Seminary in the 1990s. <clears throat> in 2006, Christianity Today named him one of the top 25 most influential preachers over the, the past 50 years. So I share all that to say Chuck Swindoll has huge credibility as a respected evangelical leader. All right, here's what Swindoll says, being quoted by Dr. Kraft, quote, Our God is some distant deity sitting around in heaven answering theological questions, end of quote. Wow. Okay, Dr. Kraft goes on. To the extent that such a statement is true, it shows that we have thrown ourselves right into the arms of deism a Christian heresy spawned by the Enlightenment. Now, Dr. Kraft goes on to explain what a deist is. <clears throat> he says, deists believe that God created the universe and set up unchangeable universal laws that preclude him from getting directly involved in running the universe in any way. End of quote. Now, 
you might be saying to yourself, no, 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 I don't believe that. My church doesn't believe that. The ministry I'm a part of doesn't believe that. I am not a deist. That's exactly what I would have said. But in episodes that follow, I will show that there are many ways that evangelicals, myself included, have functioned like deist. In one sense, we didn't believe like deists, what a deist believes, but we function that way. So that's why I say functional deism is a hidden obstacle. It's hidden because it has <clears throat> permeated our culture, both the secular culture and the spiritual culture of our churches, and it often operates below the level of our awareness. Dr. Kraft wrote about deism as a Christian heresy spawned by the Enlightenment in the 18th century. The core idea of the Enlightenment was that reason, and what we mean here is sort of our ability to figure things out, to reason things out, is the primary source of authority and legitimacy. The shorthand way of saying this is reason over revelation. In our next episode, uh, I'll unpack more about the Enlightenment, but I'll also show that this tendency to trust our own reasoning over what God says actually goes all the way back to Genesis. This is not a new thing. Dr. Kraft also lists, lists a number of symptoms of functional deism. And in the episodes to come, we'll take a look at some of these. And you'll be able to decide for yourself if this hidden obstacle of functional deism has played a role in your life or in the churches or ministries that you've been a part of. What I'm saying is it certainly played a part, a large part in my life and in a way that was I didn't realize. So for now, this is John White. I am excited about the revolution that is underway. I'm excited to be recovering the value and practice of being Jesus-led, and I'm excited to be one of his sheep that are continually hearing his voice. And finally, I'm excited to be on the journey with you. <music>